Welcome, art lovers, to the SCHS Visual Art Podcast, where we are equipping creative minds to be artists of many styles and disciplines. We feature guest artist talks and other fun things to guide, inspire, and inform the work you make or want to make. I'm Tucker Webb, but a lot of you listening probably know me as Mr. Webb. Let's check it out. Hey, it's episode 13 of the SCHS Visual Art Podcast. Today we have Holly Chastain chatting about her work, her process, and art in general. Holly is a collage and mixed media artist, as well as just an all-around creative person. She's based in Chattanooga, Tennessee, and makes amazing works using found images from books and magazines, paper, paint, and, well, just about any material that's right for the artwork she's making. She has a few distinct bodies of work that she'll talk about in the chat, but I personally enjoy the storytelling aspects of so many of her collages. She has a way of taking seemingly random or unrelated things and placing them in a space that sparks a narrative while also being visually interesting. Make sure you check out her work before or while listening. You can find her on Instagram at Holly Chastain. That's at H-O-L-L-I-E-C-H-A-S-T-A-I-N or online at hollychastain.com. This chat was recorded live with one of our advanced art classes, so you will hear some students asking questions throughout. Now, let's get to our conversation with Holly Chastain. We made it. We finally made it. Oh my gosh. No uh, tornadoes or hurricanes happening yet. No, but I'm I'm in a I'm not in my studio. I have a studio at home. I'm out on the sun porch because we have a barking dog and a plumber coming to deal with the last thing that happened um while we had to cancel. So we just I was like, you know what? I'm just gonna remove myself and stay out here. It's fine. <laughs> so we're I'm, here. I'm glad that we finally are able to chat. I know. Me too. Good to have you here. Was that a uh, salt ceramics mug? It is. <laughs> Pick it up. Um, yeah, my favorite. Yeah. Shout out to Salt Ceramics Nashville. Yep. The best. Yeah. Well, hi, Holly. Welcome hi, to uh, Middle Tennessee. How is it there? It's actually pretty beautiful right now no it is here too i'm so happy all the snow and everything and then it's like two days later we were in spring weather so i'll take it that's fine i just want summer so then we're good (laughs) yeah and you're in chattanooga correct yes okay so it's kind of cool like we've done a few of these chats and a lot of the people that we talk to are in different parts of the country and i would imagine that most of these guys have been to chattanooga so it's kind of cool that uh, you know, they have a frame of reference for where you, where you are located. So. Yeah. It's pretty great here. Uh, um, you want to start by kind of talking to us about who you are and what you do and all that stuff? Just an Yeah. So let's do that first. And then I have, um, some 
slides that I hope are not too boring. I tried to like pick some fun stuff when I put this together. Um, so my so name is boring from me. <laughs> um, my name is Holly Chastain, and I am actually originally from Dayton, Tennessee, which is about 30, 40 minutes north of here. Um, and after, you know, bouncing around a little bit, we settled in Chattanooga about 15 years ago, I guess. Um, so I went to school for um, art and business. I kind of did both. And I didn't do any very specific art classes. I did a lot of, um, spent a lot of time in the dark room, did a lot of um, just general painting and drawing, nothing past like a level two because I just skipped around a lot. Um, and then to finish up, I did a lot of um, graphic design classes, a lot of design classes where you, um, Mr. Wallace uh, tortured me a lot. There was one exercise I remember specifically, since you guys are sitting in a classroom, I can probably relate. We had um, almost like a barcode. So there were probably 25 different slots and we had um, a repeatograph and a brush and white India ink and water. And we had to create a perfect gradient from white to black across all of these spots. Um, and we all did it about 35 times. Um, so graphic design, just color theory, did all of that. And then um, went into graphic design to start. So did a lot of marketing, um, a lot of graphic design, um, taught myself most of the Adobe software. And this was back in probably 2003 to 2005 in there. So um, my job, I worked my way up to a creative director um, in around 2006, 2007. And my job was moved to Las Vegas. And after living in Tennessee, I just couldn't make the switch. It seemed, it seemed really dramatic. All of my friends were here. Um, so I chose to take the summer off. At the time I had a baby in the house. So I was like, I'm not gonna look for anything right now. I'm gonna take the summer off, spend three months just getting back in the studio and figuring stuff out. And that is what led me to collage. So I've always collected um, old books, piles of ephemera. Um, I had a bunch of old letters that I found from an estate sale somewhere and all this stuff was just kind of stacked and sitting. So I'd never really done collage before as a big practice. So we had touched on it in school, a couple of mixed media projects, but um, collage just wasn't really big at the time in classrooms. Mm -hmm. so I thought it was a good fresh start um, to sort of get these materials that I had, work on something that I had no training in. And there weren't really artists that I was aware of and were close to me at the time that were really doing it. So I thought it would be a really good way to spend three months um, without any pressure, just kind of developing a style and developing my own um, views on the material. Um, so I can walk you through, um, if I can share my screen, is that set up? You can do it, yep. Yeah, yeah. Okay, let me get this open. I said you can do it. I think you can do it. Well, I know. <laughs> sure oh I, gave you permission, but. I do workshops every weekend and it's different every single time. What it can't and can't do and it gets hung up. It's always uh, amazing to me when we do this and I don't like, we that like we have audio and video for the first time. Like it's usually there's a snag somewhere and it's like, oh wow, I can hear you and see you without any problem. Weirdly, I got on this to test everything about 10 minutes ago and the audio wasn't working. So I had to re reboot it and back out. So we just missed that by 10 minutes. 
We've it would have been, been there. a problem. <laughs> okay, can everybody see that? We can. You're okay. on a you're on a kind of a bigger screen. Awesome. Perfect. So um, this is my big, um, amazing studio. Um, there's a guy in town named John Stone who um, went to um, art school here in Chattanooga and he's a friend of mine. He is currently running a um, kind of a house flipping sort of thing in town and bought this giant old church. Um, and so the top two floors, we have gone in, all of his friends who love him so much and put in studios <laughs> into all of these spaces. That's so um, they're putting electrical in right now. So I don't have access to my beautiful space. I'm in the house, um, but this is this is kind of a view from that space there. Um, and those pictures on the walls, I'll show you a little bit later um, in the slides. I started doing some really large paper weaving um, and my printer here in town would um, print out just giant. You can see my T-square there that's 24 inches, um, printed out just some really big pieces for me to play around with. So, um, there are a couple different ways that I work. One is paper as straight medium, meaning instead of using um, paint or any other mark making tool, I use paper that's um, almost fitted together like a quilt. It's almost like building a quilt. Um, and here is um, one of the earlier pieces that I did. So this is a combination of paper. All of the scribbles, except for the florals on their arms, all of the scribbles were taken from the insides of textbooks from like the 1920s and 30s. So all of the scribbles, the figuring out math problems, that's all kind of part of the paper that was already there. It's one of the reasons why I like using older paper and found and reclaimed paper because it has all of these textures and personality kind of built into the materials. And then you can choose to work around and play off that or, you know, cut that part out. So it, it's, it kind of helps you already start thinking about the feeling of a piece as it comes together. And um, the rocks are all made from book covers. So if you find older books in antique stores, junk shops, from around this time, and even now, if you have a hardcover book, it's covered with that canvas piece that um, can peel off the cardboard. So in these really old books, they have that canvas on the top, but it, it's been uh, beat up and marked on for you know 80 years. So you get all of this good, um, all this good texture. Um, and then this is gouache. So I use um, an acrylic gouache because it's got that nice matte, really pigmented feeling, um, but it doesn't reactivate with water. So I can do a wet medium over the top and it won't pull that color off. Yeah. These are a couple other pieces um, with the paper as medium. And what gets really fun and challenging um, and frustrating is so none of these, but we have the tones within the light and the tones within the dark. So I do not alter on these pieces, sometimes I do, on this piece specifically, I did not alter the paper to lighten or darken it. So this is two pieces of paper that were dug for and found to be um, almost the same tone um, and just that difference in the lightness and darkness. So this is actually this piece right through here that forms the curve. This is a seam between two different pieces of paper. Um, yeah. So just a lot of like piecing together and fiddling. If you guys are into like really like fiddly stuff, this is a really good process for that. You're very familiar with an X-Acto blade, I assume. Oh yeah, <laughs> so, on so that, much. On that last one, I love the shirt, the face on the shirt. I don't know. 
Yeah, so um, I find a lot of book covers. Um, I think that this was actually a Sherlock Holmes, the front of a Sherlock Holmes book, and on the piece before too. Um, I think that was a Hardy Boys mystery. So if I can, I like to use those old graphics um, and kind of incorporate them because they're just so much fun. Yeah. Um, so in this piece, this is a very large piece. Well, large for my work. So working with paper, you're limited just a little bit. So I believe this one was probably 24 by 12, somewhere in there. Um, and this dollhouse was clipped out of the front of a book. So um, a, a child somewhere was at the front of an ABC's book. Um, and I believe it was from the early 1900s. So it was just something that um, a child had doodled in that book. And I took it out and kind of made it the focus of a piece. And see this on the bottom of her pants, all of this wearing um, was there from the book cover that I use for that particular piece. So it's really fun to be able to add a lot of the textures and wear that you would normally do with paint, um, just using the materials that you have. Yeah. Um, so this was taken a picture, it's called Exit 119. Um, between Chattanooga and Chapel Hill, Exit 119, there is an old um, mining and uh, sawmill village that's abandoned. Um, it's not super dangerous and they have people watching it. So we kind of viewed it from afar, but there are all of these little houses that were built through there that um, the people who worked in the sawmill would live in. And they were just all so fun. And I took a bunch of pictures and when we were leaving, there was a little junk shop and I stopped and got two or three books um, from there so I could make this piece from that area um, and just built up all of the little strips were built up from different hues in the, depending on how aged they were, like different hues in the books that I found. Locally sourced. Locally sourced. Um, this is actually an illustration that I did for, I don't even remember, it was years ago, maybe Smithsonian Magazine. It was about, um, the story was about um, moving from one home or one city or one place to another and what comes with you and the new things what you bring with you and the new things that you develop in the blending of those two things. Um, I included it in this because this was kind of the first time that I used vellum as a medium. Um, and also we talk a lot about uh, in my workshops and talks about sourcing and finding this material. This background, my husband's grandfather, they were years ago were um, replacing the cabinets in his kitchen and throwing the cabinets out the back door as they worked. And I went down there with an X-Acto blade and a scraper and pulled all of the cabinet liner <laughs> out of the insides of the cabinets because it's just, you can, I don't know if you can see, but the background is just like a little bitty check pattern. Um, and it was really fun. So I got several good sheets and used them in a couple pieces. So cool. And this is my friend Lydia's son, um, Owen. Um, he was making a poster. He was running for something school government and she, had me made this for him for his birthday, but you can see all of the tones and textures and folds that you can build up just from um, alternating. If you get uh, three or four different shades of one color, um, you can use paper just like paint. So I think in his shirt alone, there's probably 35 to 45 individual pieces of paper. Uh, so it's a lot of work and it's a lot of having white sheets of paper on your desk. So when you cut out all these little pieces, sometimes I will actually, um, I build up these templates on a sheet of vellum and do my sketching there and then use that vellum as a pattern to then go through and find all of my shapes that I'm gonna need 
And sometimes with a piece that's bigger, I'll number the spot on the vellum. And then on a sheet of paper, I'll lay my pieces out and number so I can kind of keep track of where I am. And this is a commission that I did last winter, I think. Um, but again, um, in this piece, just kind of playing around with using the same color um, on top of another color. And this was painted on a, a thicker watercolor paper. So you can kind of um, see the depth and the shape um, in that kind of monochrome. Sorry about the bell. Nope, you're okay. Um, and another piece that was built up from um, hours and hours and hours of snipping. And here's kind of um, that process. So you can see here in the middle piece to the side, that is um, the templates that I sketch on. So I typically sit down and sketch out a whole thing. And then if I'm working in one area, like the boy in this piece, I'll lay another sheet of vellum over the top and then just get an individualized um, piece for that one section. And then you can see over, you can see how I've kind of cut all of the individual shapes. So this is when it was just kind of coming together. Um, the finished piece is over on the right, but a lot of, a lot of rock cut cutting in that one. And here's that, you can see that process a little bit. This is currently on my studio wall. I've gotten a little further. Um, this is a piece that has lived in my studio for four or five years. And if I wanna work on something without any pressure, if I just need a warm up, I'll kind of fiddle with her a little bit at a time. She might get finished someday. Um, I like having her around. So even if I do finish her, I'll probably have to keep her. But this is a bigger piece. Um, she's about, 36 by 24. So this is one of the, the really bigger pieces that I've worked on. And here's some more of that process. So um, the second way that, does anybody have any questions about um, that particular method before I go on? Sure, we will have questions, but not yet. Perfect. So the other way that I work is with um, actual clipped images. Um, I do a lot of, my mom's a first grade teacher and read children's books to me. Um, my whole life, she would be reading while we were done, which is, you know, usually the opposite. Um, so I like to work a lot with clipped images and um, book covers as substrate is one of my favorite things to work with. It all started with this piece. I was working with a lot of um, vintage ephemera and I wanted that sticker, that Gilbertville Public Library sticker so bad that I couldn't get to it. I couldn't get it off the book cover without ruining it. So I tried steaming it, um, peeling it, everything I could think of. And I finally thought I'm just gonna leave it and I'm just gonna work around it. So I actually work on book cover substrates a lot now. Um, I like that when you have the insides of these books, um, you can see here the act five scene two, you've got a lot of notes, a lot of library stamps, a lot of scribbles. Um, so you're already starting with um, an idea or at least um, a composition that you can kind of work around. Um, so you can see in this one, this is just a tiny clipped image, and then this is painted paper. Um, as my, especially with these like color block, very simplistic pieces, I like, I'm very specific about my palette and I like to keep it pretty small. So I paint my paper a lot of times um, with that acrylic, acrylic gouache paint. Um, I use Holbein. So um, I lay out sheets of paper and um, over a weekend, or if I just have a free couple hours, 
then I'll paint out um, five or six sheets of paper, like a thinner paper of the same color in like my five or six color palette. So I always have it kind of sitting around. And that kind of helps you, even if you're using clippings from different places and books from different places, keeping your palette really small helps um, create the feel of a collection. I was thinking that actually, I was looking at some of your work before this and it all feels very like cohesive. And I yeah. think color palette probably has a lot to do with it. Yeah, I think it does too. And I, um, I'll kind of retire a color naturally, um, kind of as I move through this mint green um, in this piece, I used a lot for years and I've kind of gotten sick of the side of it. So it's kind of working its way out. And I have like a really bright indigo blue that's kind of working its way in. So I think that my palette changes so slowly that um, you don't really see it happening over the course. Um, but I do keep it small. So you can tell if you go on my Instagram page and scroll down through, you can see sections, chunks of uh, my palette kind of changing a little bit. So there'll be about a year of the same and then it'll kind of like slowly bleed into a couple new colors. Um, and embroidery, like bringing in um, the stitching. So these were two different pieces made for a show in Nashville um, when the arts company was still alive and amazing. Um, and I, when I look for clippings, I look for people um, in action. Um, it's kind of my favorite thing to do because I know um, when we look at these clippings, what they were originally doing, but sometimes I will kind of change what they were. So the woman on the left, stitching the paper clothes, um, I believe she was actually weaving a rug that was at her feet. Um, and the two men on the right were trying to get a cow, a baby cow, something it was like had a rodeo feel to it through a fence. So um, clipping people away from, clipping people in action away from the action and reassigning it um, is just one of my favorite things. It's kind of a, um, like the cowboy that we saw before sliding down the pole. I think he had climbed a tree for some reason, um, but I do a lot of that. So this one is called set design. And I don't remember what these men were doing. I think they were movers. So not, not too much of a, of a stretch, but um, this was an actual book cover um, that I cut in half. And then it was kind of placed on this cart that he was pulling. And in pieces like this, there's a couple more in the slideshow. These were mounted and framed within um, a very shallow shadow box. So you can kind of uh, see the depth that doesn't squash at all. So you can get uh, book covers and stuff like that and like have a little bit of glass in front of them. So you can have pieces that move around a little bit. Um, this was a series that I made um, for a gallery, I believe in Chapel Hill. But I found a whole lot of owls and a whole lot of tiny houses. Um, and did a wall of about 20 pieces. They all had houses on their heads and I arranged them in a way, almost like an installation, even though they were individually for sale, where all of the power lines met at the edge of the paper. Um, so that was really fun, kind of tedious, loved every second of it. I was just thinking about those power lines and how <laughs> one, one wrong move would... Uh, oh yeah. Yeah. And when I sent them over, they were like, we can, we can do the install. And I was like, trust me, you do not want to. I will come, I will come and do it. So this is another one of the pieces that was, um, when it was exhibited, it was in a two inch oak shadow box. 
So this is a book, an older book opened up. And then um, I tore the pages to kind of look like waves. And that sounds, when I say it, it just sounds like, oh, I just tore. This takes, you have to have the right kind of paper, um, paper that doesn't splinter, paper that will follow a curve without breaking down into it. Um, so it takes a lot of work. I've discovered this accidentally. Um, if I use the covers of a book, then typically when I am painting sheets for my palette to use in other collages, then I will use the pages out of a book so nothing's wasted. It's like using all the parts of a buffalo. Um, paint on all of the pages so I can then use those as well. So I was tearing um, pages out of a book and my husband walked by and he said, that looks like waves. And I was like, okay, wait, <laughs> it does look like waves. Um, wasn't this piece, this was a lot more um, like carefully torn and intentional, um, but uh, yeah, accidental, accidental discovery. Here's another piece, um, kind of the same. And you can see the little strings that I leave. Um, another good thing about putting them with that little bit of space between the piece and the glass um, is you can leave pieces that have a little bit of movement and a little bit of sway when the, move, when the piece moves. And I think that's uh, a really fun part of making these. Um, this is another piece. So when I started uh, really putting this piece together, the book was a little more fragile than I thought. So you can see the bottom book cover um, is letting go a little bit here. So a lot of this thread I added, um, I took thread from the original binding of the book and gave it a little bit of reinforcement, left it hanging a little bit at an angle. I kind of liked that, um, but reinforced it so it wasn't going anywhere with thread from the book. That's the good thing about mixed media, everything works. Um, another piece, so there are these things called furniture beetles and they eat into the sides of bookcases and through a book. So sometimes you'll find a book that has a big hole um, about two inches wide uh, in the outside cover and the beetles will eat like a cone-like into the piece. So as you turn every page, when you flip through the book, it's almost like a flip book, like that hole will get smaller and smaller and smaller until it disappears. So this is one of the pages that had been um, eaten through with those furniture beetles. And this is another piece I made in the shadow box. Um, all of these little wads of paper were loose in the bottom of the frame. So you could kind of turn it from side to side and they would move around in the piece. And this kind of gets into uh, my paper weaving. So long story short, two or three winters ago, three winters ago, last year's a blur, um, I had worked on a group show um, with a couple other artists and had made about 30 to 50 of those really simple color block um, book cover substrate pieces for this show. And I got back into the studio and was just bored with myself and bored with my studio. So I took a couple of months off and then started weaving paper together. I'd done it a little bit as part of a piece a couple years before and just didn't, it's so fiddly, I just didn't really get into it. And I think it hit me just right in this particular time um, and started weaving some paper together. So this is the very first piece that I made. And you can see this biggest block kind of right here in the middle where it's the solid paper and then a little bit of the text. That's the first block that I wove. And then I kind of started adding things on. So this half circle was a moon on the title page of a book. 
Here's another piece um, with the embroidery added. Um, so this boy and this boy is from the same book. It's the same boy. Um, so I wove this different canvas, this navy canvas into the top and then flipped this version of the boy upside down and kind of wove him into the side. Um, another thing that I make sound pretty easy, but I give four hour workshops just on like getting into this process. It's a lot of, um, it's a lot of kind of making marks and staring at things more than actual weaving, like trying to turn things and cut um, your slits in a way that you can kind of pull things in. If you like tedious work and getting lost in a project, I have friends that knit and crochet and I've never been able to really get into that, but um, I think this is probably the same thing. Here's another piece with, um, a half circle. This was actually a painted half circle that was then cut apart and woven in. So this is, um, I added this to the end of an art talk that I did probably six or seven months ago because every time I had something at the time, everybody was like, what have you been doing during the pandemic? Mm -hmm. And I feel like what happened was when everything shut down in April, if you were a working artist, um, some people just really leaned into it and went crazy and were making all these beautiful things. And they were like, this is a time to do these things and get into these big projects. But I think that some of us kind of completely shut down mentally. <laughs> so it was this really interesting thing to be someone who just needed to take a couple months to um, exist in like a new spot um, in contrast with um, being on social media and seeing all of these artists that were putting out like their best work ever. So um, I did a talk about like not being too, being gentle with yourself, not being too hard on yourself. And I think that kind of um, umbrellas over a lot of things right now. But when I got back into the studio, this is usually what my studio desk looks like. So I have a lot of solid colors that are kind of clipped and, um, like, so you can see that this was probably a face, the edge of this, it looks like a profile. All of my little scraps, um, I keep those in a stack. And then I have a pile of clipped images that I'm usually in the process of working with at the time. So I went to my desk and gave myself a challenge. This was back in probably July or April, sorry, July or August. Um, and I decided to just work with what was on my desk. So not bringing in anything else, just all of the mess on my desk. And I made a series um, kind of based on that. Another part of the rule was I did not alter any of my shapes. So all of these shapes were as I found them, just turned. So there was no clipping, no resizing. Um, if something fit together perfectly, it's because it just happened to fit together perfectly um, after digging around for two hours. So there's another piece in that series. And I had a lot of little, um, little strips laying around um, from another project. So I got all those out. So um, when you talk about finding things and it being super satisfying, the curve of this yellow piece and the curve of this kind of liver colored piece um, just happened to be the exact same curve. <laughs> and, um, you know, when it's, when it's July and you've been inside for six months and you have little small victories, um, that was really fun. Yeah. It's amazing the story that these, that these can kind of tell just from being scrapped of paper. Yeah. Yeah. And just, it's just, 
it almost seems like something that um, you would get assigned in college, right? Because it's just such a great exercise in color and balance and composition. And I think that I just kind of needed that to be able to sit down and order things, you know? Mm -hmm. Oh, and that ladder, um, I did, I did paint that. So that was a little bit of a cheat. I felt like you needed it though. We won't tell anybody. Okay. <laughs> and I think, oh, yeah. So one more slide. Um, so this was a commission piece. It's part of my pandemic work. Um, Harvard Magazine got a bunch of their writers and matched them with a bunch of artists that had worked with them before. And they gave us a story and we made a piece for the story and then sent it back to them. So we did not really, uh, the, the particular, the writer, they're grinding a stump next door, is that loud? <laughs> the, the writer didn't see the piece until it was published. So it's kind of a really fun thing to do. Um, but the story was about um, a girl in New York during the worst of it who walked to her grandmother's house to get a bunt pan because she was making, uh, was it Chrissy Teigen that had the banana bread recipe and everybody lost their minds for a couple months. Um, but it was about, moving through the city and moving from point a to point b and passing people on the street and it was almost like they were in another dimension um it was all talking about being lonelier when you saw other people it, she said it made her feel lonelier than not seeing anybody at all because you could not have a connection with that person so i used the same shape in the same girl and moved her kind of through the pages of the book to kind of represent time and space and then the clipping at the bottom is actually my great grandmother's banana bread recipe um, that I dug out. I drove to my mom's house and dug through her basement for an hour because I knew it would be perfect. Um, and then used an old straight pen to tag it to the inside of the book. That's amazing. So yeah, it was, it was a really fun project. I kind of needed it at the time. It was really great. Okay, I'm gonna leave the share on for just a minute, just in case anybody has any questions about a piece and we can go back to it. Perfect. Anybody have any questions? Yeah, we got a question. Okay. And I can repeat. Okay. What makes a collage piece a collage piece? Because I saw you using like multiple different types of mediums, but it's also like 3D objects. A lot with like your very like recent ones, they looked like they were like like kids' toys. And like, how would you? In a sense, like, how would you categorize collage? I don't, so, I don't know how much of that you heard. Yeah, I think I got. I think I got most of it. Um, so I, I have just kind of always used the word collage. But if I send pieces to a gallery and they ask for a medium, I always put mixed media. Um, I feel like collage has been historically strictly um, paper. Um, so a lot of, I think that something that's probably strict collage is something like, something like this piece, right? So um, working on paper, clipped paper, um, these pieces were not painted over here. It was like clippings from um, those colors showing up in individual places. So I think when we talk about like actual collage and I work very minimally. Um, so there are a lot of really great collage artists that are kind of maximalist, right? And throw a lot of stuff on. Um, but I don't know if that's necessarily, like, I don't know. I've never actually really thought about that. And like, 
delved into the history of that. I feel like collages paper and then um, mixed media is reserved for almost um, like assembled pieces, right? So I feel like maybe something crosses from collage into more of a mixed media if you are adding in different pieces with depth. So if you are adding in toys, pieces of wood, um, anything, it becomes like an assemblage almost. Um, but I, I think that people get hung up. Um, I think people get hung up on names like that. And when you go into something and you say you're going to make a collage and you have an idea in your head of specifically what you think a collage is, I think it limits you right from the start, right? So if you think, I'm going to do a collage and it's going to be paper only, um, then you lose the opportunity if you found something or wanted to use some thread or something that's going to add movement um, or personality or shape or warmth to a particular piece. I think when you start to narrow things down, then you're limiting yourself um, to ideas that would come to you if you just kind of had everything open to you at a time. Does that make sense? You, you posted something recently, Holly, that um, you said the freeing thing about mixed media is finding materials and everything. Right. That's exactly right. So ask you about that and just see, like, is there anything that's off limits or are you kind of open to anything? If you find something, will you use it regardless? Or do you have like lines drawn or you won't use certain things? Um, I, I don't think I've ever really turned anything down. If I felt like it fit with, um, it fit with the work I was making at the time. So that's actually the piece, the piece of cardboard that I posted. I have been spray painting vellum um, mm -hmm. and making a gradient on vellum. And um, I'll be showing this on my Instagram soon. I'm working on a show, um, but I had everything on a cardboard box and was using it to spray paint. And as the vellum would move around, it started stacking these colors up. And so now I have this cardboard that's got this really cool sort of paint shape on it that's completely in my palette because those are the paints that I was using to make the vellum. So it just really worked out that way. I don't know exactly what I'm going to do with it yet, but I do, um, I do have a stack of stuff to the side in my studio. That's my, I'll probably use this someday stack and I keep everything like weird stuff. Um, Ariana Grande has a new perfume out. My daughter ordered it. She's 19 last week and brought me the box because it's this really like holographic, really bright, punchy colors. Um, and she was like, I thought you might want to use this. And right now I can't think of one thing I would ever use it for, but I flattened it out and stuck it in that pile <laughs> because in six months I might be making something and then I'll think of it. And that's exactly what I needed. You know, give it to mom. She can use anything. That's, Exactly. Right. Um, it's interesting though, because it's like you have that piece of cardboard is just kind of a scrap backing that you, you know, you don't want to get paint on your table or whatever it is. And, mm -hmm. and then that becomes a new material. So it's a cool kind of cycle. Yeah. Yeah. It's really fun. And I actually just went to um, the colors that I'm working with. This is with this spray paint vellum project. I was also adding embroidery over the top of the vellum in these pieces. Um, it's on the other side of the house. I would want to run and grab it so I could show you. Um, and it was just a way to add some texture to that really um, matte slick vellum. And I chose embroidery thread that matched the paint color of the vellum. So I'm not adding color, I'm just adding texture. So now I have probably 
um, 15 little reams of embroidery thread that are in my palette as well. So as you gather things for projects, you are going to end up with a lot of stuff in front of you. If you work in collage, even a little bit for six months, you are going to have um, cast offs and odds and ends and pieces that you have gathered that you like. There's a reason you brought them back into your space, even if they don't work for that particular thing. So the longer you work in this, the more you're gonna build up things around you that are going to give you ideas and feed into, especially if you get stuck sometimes, that cardboard will probably come in handy. If I'm just really stuck one day and wanna kind of play around and do something new, um, then I'll bring out something like that, that I already know that I like um, and haven't really played around with yet. So it's a good like Kickstarter too. And that brings up another good question. Uh which is, are you, I know that you're constantly like cutting things out of books and pages and just kind of like accumulating a stack of things. Do you ever do the opposite where you're like making a piece and you're like, I really need a dog that's barking and you like go just on a search or is it, is it always kind of using pieces that you already have? So I, I have a really, I actually have a really good story about this. Um, I have a piece that is a, let me see. Okay, hang on, bear with me. Let me see if I can get to it. I think my Instagram feed is probably the closest shot. Okay, so this piece, um, to say it came to me in a dream is a little dramatic, but I was, I was kind of in this kind of waking up phase and thought I want to make a book cover and tip it a little bit and fill it full of something dark and tip off the end and have it leaking out. And I want a 70s style janitor, like in a jumpsuit and like a bucket and mop. Um, so that's what I had in my head. So this is what happens when you go backwards. Um, this piece was completely finished except for the figure. And I looked for two weeks on and off, a really long time for this particular janitor. I found a couple, it wasn't what I had in my head. It just wasn't quite right. I don't typically go online and print out clipped images or images to use because I don't have the right printer. Um, the paper that takes ink the best is a little bit thicker. So if you cut images really small, you can kind of see that edge. Um, and it just doesn't have the age that I want. It's I have hangups with it. So Finally, in the last place that I was looking, I found this woman um, and you can see she has a bucket. It's probably a little small. This is on my, you can see it better um, on my Instagram feed, but she has a bucket and um, a rag, I think. And then I was able to go in and add some of the black gouache with a fingertip. So it looked like little marks along the bottom of her skirt and her shoes in the bottom of her bucket. Um, so it just kind of really grounded her like in that spot. So I, first of all, I ended up liking her better than I would have um, if I'd found the actual janitor that I was looking for. But two, there's a reason why I start with clippings. So I go through all of my magazines probably about once a month and tear pages out and then another and put them in a stack. So I have a stack of things that I will probably like at some point. Um, and then I also have a page of people. So it's things that are actually clipped out. So when I go to make a piece, um, I almost always go to that clipping pile first 
because working backwards is too, and like I said, I have done it. Um, it's a lot harder that way, <laughs> a lot harder. Um, it's just the whole thing of, if you're looking for something that you've got in your head, you're never gonna find specifically what you have thought of. So again, you're kind of limiting, like I might have looked over this woman two or three times, but I was looking for something specific, right? And so I kind of passed her by. So it's just another way to um, kind of leave yourself um, open a little bit when you're not looking for something specific, when you're digging through magazines, you're just finding things that speak to you that you think you might use at some point. Yeah, love that. I'm gonna, I have a, a bunch of other questions, but I don't wanna monopolize the time. So I'm gonna open it up real quick again. Okay. Anybody? Yeah. Victor's got another question. So we're gonna go with that. Uh, you said that before you got into uh, collage, you'd uh, become a creative director. And with most of my research, I always go uh, look up on like YouTube about the job of a creative director. And it's usually like very, very brown. Uh, could you, in a sense, like dive deeper about what, what like went along with the job title and what you found yourself doing? I missed the last couple sentences of what you said. Sorry. It says uh, you you had mentioned being a creative director and that uh, it seems like when you when you hear about creative directors, it's kind of this broad, vague thing. And he's yeah. wondering what what your job kind of entailed as a creative director. So um, if you stop this um okay i kind of stumbled into that job by wanting to learn as much as i could so i had gone into working for this particular company um as an associate graphic designer so i think it was under like two people and so what happens typically in a company if you go into a company and you they're like do you want to try this and you say yes every time then you end up getting way too much work, um, more than you can handle all the time. Boundaries are important. Um, and I was doing it though, because I wanted to learn and teach myself as much as I could. Um, kind of the way I went through college, it was just, I wasn't really working towards a specific degree. I was just taking classes. I took a lot of accounting classes so I could do my own taxes, um, just kind of gaining knowledge. So. I went to my first couple jobs that way as well. Just if I, if someone asked me if I wanted to help them with something and I said, yes, that might give me experience in InDesign working with someone who, um, who knew what they were doing, right? Without having to take another class. Like I was getting paid to learn all of these skills. So that was the fun part. And then you work your way up. A creative director is not fun if you are a creative person because all of the creativity at that point happens around you and you are just kind of a yes no assignment person um there are projects that come straight to you or you can take projects and not pass them on um but i i was already a little bit unhappy in that position because once you're there everyone comes to you and i love i teach workshops all every weekend. I love like passing on knowledge. But at that point, I just really wanted to kind of keep learning from people. Um, so I think yes, I think that when I having that attitude, when I started in collage, it was just that whole, um, I got to learn something else. I'd never done collage before. And I had all these pieces. So I looked up um, adhesives, 
um, and what works and just experimented literally for a summer for three months. I just kind of experimented with everything um, and learned online from uh, there were a lot of workshops back then online. Um, so I just learned uh, YouTube videos on gel medium and just kind of went back into that whole uh, looking for information and teaching myself things. Um, so yeah, that yeah, I'm, I'm sure that me working my way to a creative director specifically influenced <laughs> doing something that I had no idea what I was doing to start. I had just gotten to the point where I just kind of wanted to do that again. So you, you've mentioned YouTube and learning from other people and all of those things. Um, how, like what other ways do you, cause, cause you went to school, you said kind of for art, kind of for business, that sort of thing. But like, you know, you learn, you learn a lot when you're in school, but then you get out and you're kind of, right. you're not learning as much, but what sorts of things do, are you, do you do regularly? Would you say to like continue to grow and learn that maybe would help them to grow and learn. I don't know if that makes any sense. No, you did. That's <laughs> good. <laughs> um, so online workshops right now, um, it it's completely changed from a year ago. So I feel like before um, before pandemic, if you took a workshop, then it was typically in a like a really specific like oil painting, right? And it was like 1200 bucks for like six hours. And it was just really expensive and kind of out of reach. Um, now, um, so I teach, I don't have any on the books right now, but I teach a collage crash course. That's a two hour course. It's 20 bucks. Um, and just anybody can come and I just throw information at people and do demonstrations for two hours. Um, there is a woman named Lindsay Stripling. If you are into, um, watercolor she is in san francisco and she does really basic cheap fun workshops that are just great and i think they're like 30 bucks for three or four hours i took that workshop um, and it was really fun um there are a lot of artists using patreon now um so um in the same way a lot of artists using twitch now like there's a lot of ways where you can get lessons um, and cheap, fun, good information because everybody's just kind of putting themselves out there right now. I actually learn a lot from teaching workshops because I'll have people in my classes that um, when I teach my paper weaving class, I'll have people come into the class that work with fabric a lot. And they're like, I've never done this with paper, but I do it with fabric. And they will kind of offer back into the class ways that they do their particular thing. And then we can adapt and find ways to use um, what we're, use that knowledge to kind of alter what we're doing as well. So I think that just anytime a, a group of people come together that's creative and kind of makes something, even if it's just two or three people, um, I've got a couple friends in town and we get together in the yards at picnic tables. And um, one of my friends is an oil painter and one's a photographer and I bring all of my stuff and we just put what we're working on on the table and just kind of talk and like everything gets kind of mixed up and we bring materials nobody's used. So just experimenting, learning from other people, there's lots of ways to do that right now. Um, but yeah, just being with other creative people is where I pick up most of my stuff right now. Do you have like inspirations that might surprise people that like, uh, are you inspired to make things? from anything random it's okay if not or if nothing comes to mind 
So um, I am, I love um, ghost supernatural horror movie stuff. I think I probably love ghosts the most in the world for someone who doesn't really believe in them at all. So um, I, I, we watch, my husband and I, um, he's actually an art major too, um, but we watch a lot of ghost stories and horror and the supernatural and weird old folk tales. I'm, I'm reading a book right now um, of, it was written in the early 1900s, but it's folk tales from like the Black Forest. And so it's just all of this awesome, some Russian, some German, like bringing in all of this thing, especially uh, Japanese folk stories too. Um, I feel like we have our own. Oh, I'm sorry, we have an announcement real quick. Okay. Did you get that, Holly? Yep, I got that. Okay. <laughs> Noted. <Sorry about> that. <laughs> You're fine. Um, we know all of our, in this country, folk tales, fairy tales. Um, they've been told to us our whole lives. So it's just interesting to read a, just a short little folk tale from Japan um, that these kids have learned their whole lives and heard over and over again. And it just, it little hits different because it's not already in our head. Um, so I get a lot of inspiration from normalized storytelling from other countries. I just think that that's a really good way to learn. I mean, there's a reason why even people who were, um, you know, used to watching horror movies and grew up with that genre, why the ring scared us all to death, because it's just the water ghosts and the Japanese and it's visuals that we haven't seen our whole lives. It's kind of that same sort of feel, but it's without the scaring, just, you know, just the fun. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, I, another question I had is I know that you, um, you mentioned having like your work in galleries sometimes, uh, and obviously I, I would imagine you're selling work there. You do the workshops, which is, you know, some sort of, uh, income that comes in. You have, I know you have a book that, you know, you get passive income from that. But I think a question that I'm, my students have a lot of times with the, with these working artists is like, how do you make money? Because you know, that we've been told our whole lives that, you know, artists don't make money and starving artists right. thing, but um, that's kind of been one of the things that I've been interested in with these chats is like figuring out how people are making a living doing what they do. So like what, right. what other ways, if you don't mind sharing, do you? Uh, yeah, you of course. Um, so I think, I think it's actually really important for everybody to talk about. Um, so you have, um, I always pick on oil painters. A lot of my best friends are oil painters. So I pick on them all the time. Um, you have oil painters, right? Who work in this craft and they work in this one craft and will spend six months making a painting and sell it for 60 grand. Well, that's their income, you know? Um, I feel like the majority of people, 95% of working artists, you just need to diversify everything that you do. So, um, I make work for galleries. Um, I did write a book. I teach workshops um, in person and online. Getting back to in person this summer, hopefully. Um, I am an illustrator, so I have done work for um, a lot of different magazines and I design the covers of books for people. Um, I worked with Warner Music um, and have done album art, um, 
probably seven or eight sets of album art. Um, so that's, you just have to kind of reach out everywhere. I also do uh, graphic design jobs that have nothing to do with my work. So I design logos every now and then. Um, I worked back in the spring for two or three months for a company um, just as a, they just needed a graphic designer for a couple months. So I also think that there's this stigma around, um, oh, well, you are a watercolor artist. Why are you designing logos? Or why are you going back and doing this thing? Or, you know, you, it's, there's this stigma around that you have to do what you're doing full time. There's all this stuff on Instagram about quit your day job. And I get the whole nine to five thing. But if you are working um, as an artist and also three days a week, you work for a plant nursery or you do graphic design or you work at a grocery store or a restaurant. I think that that is what helps you um, get the income to build up your art career, right? So if you have that income and you need that extra income to buy supplies and to give yourself time to experiment more then you are building yourself up and putting those fingers out there to then eventually be able to have enough um, avenue and enough space to do enough things within your craft. You diversified enough that you can then support yourself with your craft, you know? Yeah. Um, so yeah, you're not, I mean, it's, it's, it's a lot different than sitting in a studio all day, making paintings and selling paintings. And I think that people think, especially people who graduate school with an art degree, think that you're going to do that. And that's just not, that's not feasible. It's not the way it works. You diversify and make money in like 10 different ways. Yeah. I think that for one thing, people like to com compartmentalize. It's kind of uh, human nature to just like want to put these things in nice, neat little boxes. And so right. when yeah. people do things that are outside of that box, it kind of throws people for a loop. And yeah. then I also think that there's like this weird feeling about like, I think sometimes that people think that if you're not the oil painter that's making a painting in six months and then selling it for six, 60 grand, that you're like a failure as an artist. Whereas right. like 99% of artists are doing exactly what you're talking about. They're right. doing multiple different things. And that doesn't, I think it's kind of cool that it it's starting to become a thing where it's, it's not looked at as like a failure or uh, it's just looked at as normal these days, or it yep. seems like there's a shift happening yeah. in that. But um, well, I want to open it up one more time for uh, student questions. And then I might have just a couple of quick questions if that's okay. okay. That's fine. Uh, okay. We had another question. Did you get okay. that? I caught half of it. Could you tell me? Uh, she's a senior. This is Natalie. She's a senior. Oh, and fun. She's, uh, she's graduating and she's planning on going to Chattanooga, University of Tennessee, Chattanooga. Yay. Uh, she was asking if there's any, do you know any uh, secret art? Um, she didn't say secret, but are there any like, what was the word you used? Resources around the Chattanooga area that she should know about? So um, Matt Greenwell is head of the design department. So he's over in the department. He's a good friend of mine. Um, I'll let him know you're coming. Um, Chattanooga's got, the art scene is really, really growing right now. Instead of growing from local galleries up, um, it's kind of growing in sort of a small way, like I feel like places do when an art scene first moves in. 
So we have all of our galleries, nothing wrong with these galleries, but we have all of our galleries um, in the North Shore that have the watercolor paintings and the photography of the bridge of Chattanooga and these um, kind of fine art places. Um, but also we just got um, a, a really, really amazing record store on Main Street. Um, all of our um, bakeries, um, locally owned places are starting to take more student work. So there's a lot of opportunity for just like really small local shows and coffee shops and places where you can just kind of take in an armful of art and show it. Um, and the art department also at UTC specifically is fantastic about shows. I've been to a couple shows in the last probably six months or so um, of student art. There's lots of opportunities for that all the time. Um, but even outside of an art department, Sorry, there's, there's a lot going on. So sorry. <laughs> I miss, I miss, I haven't heard that in such a long time. Um, we can probably make it happen some more if you want. Yeah, my kids went to CSAS in Chattanooga and it's the old Chattanooga High School building. It's an arts and sciences school, um, but they didn't have an intercom. So they never had that experience. Um, so I haven't heard it in forever. I love it, it's fun. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so there's, there's a lot going on and um, I would just go into, or just contact me, um, my email address and everything is on my website and I'll kind of send you a list of some things to check out. I was going to say, before you said that, I was going to say, I know this uh, artist named Holly Chastain that lives there too. So <laughs> I'm sure she'll be a good resource, but um, Holly, these guys leave us in eight minutes. Do you mind if I ask you just like uh couple of just speed round questions. They can be like yeah. one one sentence answers if you want them to be or longer. Okay. Um, so the first one is kind of a long question, but it doesn't have to be a long answer. It is that I feel like collage in general or mixed media, either one um, is like probably one of the most approachable um, medium media that you, that exists because like we all have things lying around. We can all cut things out right uh, and make things out of it but like there's obviously this uh it's intimidating kind of sometimes because you don't want to just glue a bunch of stuff to a piece of paper that right. looks uh you know like a middle school uh collage where you have like justin bieber all over the picture <laughs> board. like you know so what are what are things that people can um what's something they can do to like start so that they're not so intimidated and I don't know if that makes any sense or if it's Oh yeah, no, it totally does. So that's that's one of the things about mixed media is that you, I mean, it's good that you have so many things open to you, but it's also bad, right? Because where do you start? Um, when I'm teaching workshops and I tell people to, if people want to work more minimally and they have all of this stuff, I say first step, go and gather everything you want to glue down color and clippings and whatever, bring it back to your workstation. And you're like, okay. And I'm like, okay, you have a point system. So if you want to work minimally, you have five points right now. Hmm. So your muted colors are worth one point. Your really bright colors and your clippings are worth two points. So you spend your five points and arrange things and then you start taking points away. So you might have to trade in one of your really bold colors for another muted color. Um, and then you can practice going from five down to two um, or from 10 down to five, just however you want to do it. So it helps you 
think through the process of elimination. Um, and also it gives you a lot of thought about balance and composition, like your colors not overpowering your clipping or overpowering each other. Um, and it also, if you are wanting to develop a palette of colors, four or five colors that you wanna work in, um, then it's also a good way if you don't know what colors you like, if you continually pass in other colors to keep a color, then you obviously like that color and it speaks to you and you wanna work with it. So it's just a very simple system um, to kind of start to narrow down a little bit. And then the more you practice, it comes naturally, just kind of um, picking things that go like three or four things um, and just kind of playing with those at a, on you know a substrate. Love that. I love the, the five point system. I feel like I need like an infographic for the, the classroom that has something like that on it. I'll make you one. <laughs> All right, I'll, <laughs> I'll uh, look forward to it. Um, second quick fire question is, um, if you could only have one tool besides like, the, if, let's say I give you all the clippings that you have, okay. you can have one other tool to make your work. What would you, what would you pick? Scissors. Scissors. I think even scissors. Though, even if you have everything, glue so even if you have everything cut out already. Oh. Don't want scissors to maybe like uh, fit things together better or? It's kind of a tricky question because there's a lot of. Uh, if everything was already cut out, um, so I use an Uhu glue stick, UHU is the brand. Um, mm -hmm. And I use wet medium, like a gel medium too, but that glue stick, I would definitely need that. And embroidery thread if I got to pick one more. Sure. Yeah. You can pick as many as you want, Holly. <laughs> um, all right. Last question. Okay. This is a question that I ask every artist that we talk to. Um, but these guys are like 15 to 18 years old. So if you could go back to 16 or 17 year old Holly Easily. and, and uh, help uh, give yourself one bit of advice to help you on your <clears throat> path, what would it be? No pressure. I know. Uh, um, okay. One thing I wish someone had told me in high school is there's not one path to becoming an artist. You don't have to graduate with an art scholarship, go to a four year school for art and graduate with a specific um, degree in fine painting or sculpture. Um, there's outsider artists, there are artists who have never been trained in anything that make stuff every single day. Um, I think that if you're taught that there's one specific path and things happen in life and you veer from that path, um, then it's hard to be creative because in order to be creative and make things, you have to have confidence in your creative self. And um, I think that very strict and rigid art school um, actually hinders that for a little while too. Um, so no specific path. If you like to make things, make things, take the classes you wanna take, don't get discouraged. I think that's awesome. And I think that it all, it really applies to we have many seniors in this class, so a lot of them are kind of uh, juggling those decisions right now as it is. So I think that's awesome. And it's been great because we've we've talked to artists who are in kind of all of those situations. We have some that yeah. went to art school, some that didn't go to uh, college at all, some that went to college for this and now they're doing this. And it's yep. so really cool to hear that from a lot of people who are doing it for a living. So, yep. Holly, thank you so, so much for 
taking some time out of your day to chat with us. It really means no a lot. Problem. It was really fun. I know it means a lot to them too. No problem. Thank you guys. Stay away from the bathroom outside the gym. Yes. I think it's all good now. We got the code. <laughs> awesome. Well, hey, I hope you have a great year, Holly, and things to get back to something that resembles normal life. No, you guys too. Good luck with all of your graduations. Those of you who are graduating. Thank you. There's a lot of thank yous happening. So. <laughs> All right. Bye. Thank you. Bye. Thanks. Thank you so much to Holly for taking the time to talk to us. Collage and mixed media is something that I feel we forget about sometimes in our conversations about art. I thought it was enlightening and inspiring to hear what is possible to make with paper and scissors. And I hope you found it interesting, too. Don't forget to check out her work. You can find it on Instagram at Holly Chastain or online at hollychastain.com. If you're interested in exploring more or diving deeper into all things collage, Holly also has a book called If You Can Cut, You Can Collage, From Paper Scraps to Works of Art. Check it out. As always, thank you for listening. If you have any questions or have artist suggestions for this podcast, you can email at schsvisualart at gmail.com or find us on Instagram at SCHS Visual Art. Until next time, keep creating.